The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment, featuring a roundtable of Dominion women seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's Word fearlessly and faithfully in all callings and seasons of life, both in and out of the home, reversing the curse and smashing pagan strongholds. How have human rights movements directly caused human rights atrocities today, and what was their downfall? I'm Liz Sachs, and this is The Monstrous Regiment. So today we will be discussing um, how human rights movements have directly caused human rights, humans' rights atrocities. When we look back at movements of the past, we can see that social movements crumble under idolatry and narrow focus when they're not held to an internal consistency and a broad application to all areas of life. When we aren't taking an ax to the root of social sins, then what we are doing is perpetuating those sins as we lop off all the branches but ignore the root itself. This is what has destroyed human rights movements in the past and what will continue to destroy them if we don't learn from history. If we look at two specific social movements that actually happened pretty much side by side and are a mirror image of one another, we can see this displayed at close range. So the two movements we're going to be looking at are abolitionism, the immediatist Garrisonian kind, and the women's rights movement. At the time when abolitionism was taking place, right after the Second Great Awakening, society itself was largely largely patriarchal, and women had no place in that society. They were expected to relegate themselves to drawing rooms, kitchens, and nurseries. This was something that was faced even by abolitionist women as they persisted in advocating for rights for the oppressed by the greatest evil of their age. One such abolitionist was Elizabeth Blackwell, who sought to be a doctor. She felt that her calling after a friend had died and had expressed to her as she was dying of the disease, probably ovarian cancer, um, her friend had said to her that she felt that if she had had a woman doctor, her death would have been less painful and less difficult. Elizabeth was um, inspired by this and sought to love her neighbor by helping healing and eventually by teaching. She studied under two physicians, um, one she boarded with and then another she studied with while she sought to get into medical school, which was near impossibility at the patriarchal society of the time. When she applied to medical schools, she was immediately rejected. And the only medical school that accepted her did so because they thought it was a practical joke. What happened there was that Uh, There were students, about 150 students, who were put it to a vote. And they told them 
to vote on whether or not they wanted to accept a, a woman into the medical school. The men who proposed this vote had purpose to themselves that if one man objected, she would be rejected from medical school. All of the men who were voting for this particular thing assumed it was a practical joke and so voted unanimously to accept her, which was a providential happenstance if ever there was one. So she went on to become a doctor. However, as she was at medical school, even after getting over the hurdle of acceptance, the patriarchal society around her still gave her quite a hard time. She was expected to attend class from the hallway. She was not allowed to participate in hands-on learning um, things, labs and, and such like. Um, she did eventually graduate at the top of her class and was praised uh, for doing so. But there were so many things that she had, so many obstacles that she had to overcome. Meanwhile, which were indicative of society at the time where women were not allowed to do such things. They were not allowed to have educational opportunities. They were not allowed to have control of their own property. Their fathers, their husbands, their brothers did these things. They were not allowed to vote. They were not allowed to oppose injustices. They were not allowed to participate in political um, things. They were expected to stay in their homes and to be unengaged with society um, in any meaningful way. Now, at this time, the abolitionist movement, uh, right on the heels of the Second Great Awakening, was focused on a very important foundational principle, which was that of Imago Dei, being that all human beings were created in the image of God, and as such, had rights endowed to them by their creator. Because of this, uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who was a leader in, in the immediatist abolitionist movement, brought women to the table naturally as a part of his efforts. He encouraged uh, women to participate. He encouraged women to sign petitions, which was their only means of, uh, of political action, was to appeal to the government through a petition. He encouraged them to take part because he felt that they also could oppose injustice. Angelina Grimke was one such woman who did so. And as a, a part of her leadership within the movement, she traveled and spoke to what they would call promiscuous audiences, audiences of both men and women. The patriarchal society of the time did not accept this type of thing. And in fact, by doing so, Angelina Grimke um, invited accusations of promiscuity, of prostitution, um, just by addressing mixed audiences. And yet Garrison encouraged her in doing so. And she even went so far as to be the first woman to address a legislative body in the United States of America by going to the Massachusetts state house with a petition signed by 20,000 women of Massachusetts asking for the immediate abolition of slavery. She was subject to ridicule even as she walked down to speak to the, the gathered people. The, the house was packed because so many people were fascinated to see a woman and, and yet angry to see a woman address the legislature when they felt that women should not be involved. But the thing was, 
even as Garrison was consistent with his ideas of human rights and his ideas of Imago Dei, others in the movement, supporters of the movement, were not consistent in their application of it and opposed the uh, leadership and the involvement of women in the abolitionist movement. This eventually led to a split of the movement as a whole. In 1839, um, there was the split occurred with the American Anti-Slavery Society um, having women elected into leadership. However, Lewis and Arthur Tappan opposed this and they felt that this was wrong and that this should not be so. And so they started the American and Foreign Anti-Slavery Society. In 1840, they had a conference in London, which they hosted, and they made it clear prior to the conference that women would not be admitted into the conference. However, six women joined the American delegation in London and yet were turned away at the door. They were allowed, as they were going into the conference, to stay in an upstairs gallery and observe silently as the first day of the conference, the entire first day was taken up by an argument amongst the men about whether or not women could be involved in the conference itself. William Lloyd Garrison was upset and angry by these developments. And as a result, he stood with the women in the upper gallery. Some accounts even suggest that they were listening through a curtain and not seeing it directly. William Lloyd Garrison, with his consistent view and his choice to follow Christ, not to follow a cause, said this of this particular uh, split and, and um, controversy. He said, I have been derisively called a woman, woman rights man. I know no such distinction. I claim to be a human rights man. And wherever there is a human being, I see God-given rights inherent in that being, whatever may be the sex or complexion. Garrison was consistent in his view, despite the fact that many followers and others drawn to the movement were inconsistent with their view. But his consistency contrasted with their inconsistency, split the entire movement in half. Now, as a result of this, there were women's movements that sprung from it. Um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott, who were behind that curtain, walked home arm in arm from that conference, resolving to one another to start a women's rights movement. And they did so. This, the particular human, uh, women's rights movement that they started, <clears throat> excuse me, demanded specifically property rights for women, votes for women, and access to educational opportunities, and so on and so forth. Yet their focus initially was on women's suffrage, was on votes for women. And so this new movement, which had been born the offspring of abolitionism because of the foundational idea of Imago Dei, focused in, honed in on one small branch of their tree, and that was suffrage. But as the 15th Amendment came into view, the women's rights movement had a controversy of their own. 
wherein half of the movement, led by Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, opposed the 15th Amendment, giving suffrage for black men, because they felt that women's suffrage was more important. Their slogan was, women first, Negro last. This communicated their intentions quite succinctly. And as a result, the women's rights movement in its early days also split. When we take these two movements and we put them side by side, the abolitionist movement and the women's rights movement, both birthed in the same foundational principles, in the same recognition of the society around them, oppressing blacks, oppressing women, the same power structure that they saw, they both split over the same thing. They both split over what I want, what my rights are, and my rights are more important for your, uh, than yours. You see, their own power religion took hold of their cause and destroyed any good that they might do because of their pagan thinking and their purposing to benefit themselves and others like them rather than to love the least of these and to care for them in the name of Christ. They destroyed themselves with their self-idolatry and both movements were a mirror image of the other. But this history lesson has a purpose. Today we are reaping the fruit of this as we watch the disenfranchisement of women and people of color is still thriving and well. Currently, people of color are oppressed by our prison system. The evils of slavery are not over. They still continue in how unjustly people of color are imprisoned, harmed, and killed by our current system of justice, our justice system. In my state alone, in Pennsylvania, for every 200 prisoners, 1,800, every 200 white prisoners, 1,800 of them are black. We have traded one thing for another. When it comes to women's rights, women themselves have been stockholmed into aiding our own oppression and in an Orwellian twist, calling it feminism. Feminism demands that women become the new man, grasping at power that men once had in a patriarchal system for ourselves, no matter what oppression we may have to perpetuate to achieve such supremacy. Feminism is a full acknowledgement and continuation of patriarchy, power for one sex. And feminism gives patriarchy exactly what it wants, control and objectification of women, sexual objectification of women, and we call it sexual freedom for women, and yet women and men are enslaved in its thrall. Feminism gives patriarchy what it wants, sexual freedom at the cost of children, where children are aborted at the request of men and the request of women. What feminism constitutes is a continuation of patriarchy. Our society still has the same problems that it had in the 1800s and the 1830s. They just have new names. 
both of these realities, though, find their ultimate sinful realization in abortion. This is the primary system of our fundamentally sick society. It is systematic, it is widespread, and it is a direct result of the failure of previous human rights movements for women's rights and anti-slavery. Because foundationally, both movements abandoned the image of Imago Dei when it suited them, the, the truth of Imago Dei, sorry, to perpetuate their own power religion, me over you, my power over yours. They abandoned foundational scriptural truths. They abandoned our king and they abandoned truth for self-idolatry. This resulted in a system of abortion that perpetuates the oppression of both, where women are asked to murder their children in pursuit of power and minorities are asked to murder theirs in a pursuit of economic or racial purity. The abortion dragon is a direct result of these failures. It is an offspring of a movement who forgot their first love and sought self-love and their cause above service to a king who says, what you do for the least of these you do for me. So rather than an all-encompassing, full-orbed view of the gospel and of injustices, they each settled for a narrow view of one branch on which they were sitting. Their compassion wanting each movement in their own way, abolition in the rejection of women, women's rights in the rejection of black men and women, ignored the least of these in their day and age to cry loudly, what about my rights? Perpetuating their own power of religion and their own place in the world. Early in the women's rights movement, advocates on one half of their split openly courted white supremacists, which was, I believe, the foundation and the beginning of ideas that would lead to abortion targeting minorities. This is where both movements went wrong, and this is why neither movement succeeded fully in what they set out to do. Those who opposed abolition also used women's rights as a shoehorn to split the movement and to maintain inconsistent thinking, which kept the status quo of the power struggle between the sexes. The feminist idea of equality leading to the murder of children for a perpetuation of sexual promiscuity, flattening the differences between men and women in the pursuit of their own power. The thing is, these same things are still going on. When we make idolatry of self our cause, when we oppress the other or marginalize them, we simply ignore the problem because of how it might affect or endanger us to oppose it. Then we've leaped over the fence and we've abandoned truth and justice. We've abandoned mercy and humility and we've abandoned love and compassion, all in self-interest, all for idolatry of self. And this is how the sin of the mothers and fathers continues to roll down upon the children as we demand each our own, the supremacy of man, the supremacy of women, the supremacy of race or economic prosperity, the liberty to sexually objectify, the right to own or control one another, then our idolatry naturally pours into the death of the least of these, and we sacrifice them at the altar of our struggle for power. The women's rights movement sacrificed black people at the altar of their power, the abolitionist movement sacrificed women 
upon the altar of their power. The same evils will continue, but under new tactics, new names, and more subtle means. By our selfishness, we only strengthen and build up the dragon of abortion. We feed him and we continue to offer him sacrifice after human sacrifice, leading to more and continued and entrenched evils. So what do we do? Today we have the chance to strike at the root instead of each getting absorbed in our own little favorite branch and extending this justice for many more centuries to come. We are equipped with the truth and the understanding to finally end these injustices. This is what Christ bringing all of his enemies under his feet entails. We recognize and fight these injustices. We are aiding his effort as his helpmeet bride to our king. We serve him, not a cause and not a specific avenue to power. Because we serve him, we must not allow our cause to be idolatrous. We must not allow it to be narrow. We must take an ax to the root. We are given an opportunity now to change the culture, to actively apply consistent human rights to all people everywhere, to view it biblically and rightly. History shows we cannot do so if we do not lead them consistently and if we focus only on criminalizing what interests me or what is important to me, one expression of evil or another. If we refuse to acknowledge the oppression of women and minorities that is feeding the abortion dragon, we will make the same mistakes as those who came before us. We will continue to split movements and be ineffective in fighting Christ's enemies that he is bringing beneath his feet. So we must renew our minds, put back the old man with his trappings of pagan thinking. We need to put him to death if we're going to take back the culture and abolish discrimination of the ultimate and most atrocious discrimination of all, abortion. If we take an axe to the very root itself, we will kill it. But if we continue to swipe away at the lowest hanging branches, those branches will wither and die. But we are just pruning a tree to grow even more fruit. We are just continuing to perpetuate these evils. So what do we do now? We act consistently. We think consistently. We follow Christ our King in fighting these entrenched evils and in viewing them all consistently by the word of scripture. We cannot cherish one idol and push away all the others. It will keep us from following Christ the King. It will destroy any effort that we make, and it will kill any devotion that we have to him. What is that phrase? Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is where we are. This is the choice that we have. We can look back on history and learn. We can have that post-mill moment where we realize that as we fight for Christ, we are seeing things clearly. We are seeing things more and more in the light of what we know now and what we have seen people stumble over in the past. Let us not stumble over their idols. Let us not stumble over ours. But let us instead follow a king who leads us to victory and who is consistent in how he loves the least of these. 
Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.